Hey, everybody. It's the Scarlet Nation podcast with John and Bobby. We're just talking Rutgers sports today. And uh, Bobby, I just want to kick things off and just ask you on the message board. I know you did an Ask the Staff recently on the Scarlet Nation message board. What are some of the hot questions that people have been asking a lot lately? I mean, you know, uh, there's some questions about which of these uh, commits are going to contribute. Um, you know, they, they signed a bunch of guys for the early signing period. You know, which ones are, are, are going to pan out, which ones aren't. Then you have questions about, you know, defensive coordinator, what's going on with that. Um, you know, and then it goes to, you know, what's going to happen with the quarterback situation, wide receivers. I mean, there, there's a wide array of, of questions, which which makes it interesting to to participate in that every week because it's it's very uh, diverse in those questions. But, you know, a lot of looking ahead, a lot of um, what to expect this year. It's a new year, um, new team, uh, new expectations. After last year, I think everybody kind of just washed away um, that that bad taste of uh, 2018 in terms of Rutgers football. And finishing on a high note in recruiting, uh, it gives the fan base some positive um you know, optimism for the future, and, and particularly with the way the defense played at the end of the year, uh, it seems like if they can just get that offense together a little bit, um, you know, they could return to some winning ways. And that's what I was going to ask you, just the general tone of the fan base. Do you think that they're, I mean, I sensed towards the end of the season that we might have to close the message board down and start things <laughs> back up again in the summer. Do you think they've turned a corner in terms of where the fans are you know, regard to just supporting the team and looking forward and, you know, in an optimistic way for next season? Well, I think there's been a bump in, in optimism, but I, I don't think it's a complete turnaround because obviously there hasn't been any games played and, you know, you've signed some, some players, but none of them have suited up yet. Uh, none of them have stepped on the field yet. So, um, you know, it, there's still reason for skepticism, but the way they finished defensively and, and played close to Penn State and, Michigan State as well, even Northwestern. I mean, that shows, uh, you know, that there's been signs of improvement. Um, like I said, Chris Ash is renowned for his defensive prowess. And now he just needs to add some offense to that mix, you know, stay consistent defensively and, and give the fans something to cheer about on the offensive end, sustain some drives, make some big plays downfield, complete some passes. It feels like forever that, that we watched the team with a downfield passing game. I mean, you remember uh, the days of, of Kenny Britt when John McNulty was here the first time and, and Mike Teal and Taekwon Under, Taekwon Underwood and, and, and the way they used to just sling the ball around. Uh, I think the fan base is, is really thirsting for that type of play again. And, and you don't even need that 40-point production a game, you know, uh, if you remember some of those big games they had. They just need a, some some little bit of offense to, to keep them in games and, and let the defense do what it does. And, and it could, re, you know, you could return to some wins. Right. Now, this past couple of seasons, there's been talk of who's going to be the starting quarterback. And you were probably the first person or one of the first people in the media to come right out this year and say, Arthur Sitowski, he's going to be the starter. And of course, Sikowski became the starter. And, but he eventually, you know, was, he didn't hold on to that job throughout the season. But with Gio gone next year, it looks like there'll be less options to come in and take a spot from him. Do you see anyone being able to, and obviously you haven't seen the freshmen who are coming in. Uh, there's one on scholarship, one as a walk on. But is there any scenario whereby, Arder will not be the starter. 
I mean, if you bring in a grad transfer and, and the guy comes in and plays well, uh, yeah, I mean, I could see somebody unseating him. Um, you know, he would have to play well and, and Art would have to kind of struggle, but we've seen Art struggle in the past and, and the staff was committed to Sitkowski early on in the process. I mean, spring practice, he showed some flashes and, and you know, we knew then that, that, that he was going to be the guy. Um, you know, they went through the, the summer practices and, and whatnot and Art started to struggle, but, you know, they were committed to him early and they stuck with him. Um, he just didn't develop and progress like they had hoped. Um, you know, it's one of the dangers of getting a guy who doesn't have, a, you know, a marquee resume at the at the high school level, uh, a guy who, you know, was unseated as a starter his senior year, um, you run the risk of, you know, does this guy really have it? I mean, you know, he looks great at a combine, but, you know, the game of football is not played in shorts and T-shirts, so you have to look at that factor. But it's really tough to imagine a scenario where Sikowski's not the starter just because there's nobody on the roster outside of Jonathan Lewis who has game experience. Um, you're not going to go into game one with a true freshman who's never played and, and just throw him to the wolves. I mean, Rutgers has done that in the past. but um, Many times. You, you know that, yeah. But even Top Savage, you know, they let the tally start that season, and then Savage came in after that, you know, terrible first two quarters by Natale. Um So I, I think, you know, it looks like Art's going to be the guy, and, and it's tough to really draw a grad transfer quarterback to Rutgers when it had one of the worst passing offenses in the country. If you've got one year to play, and, and most guys are thinking, even if it's not realistic, they're thinking they have a chance to get to the NFL. Um, they're looking at the path that, that can take them there, and going to an offense that, that really didn't produce anything last year, it, it's a tremendous, uh, you know, uphill battle for them. Right. I um, it, it is, it's just tough trying to envision Rutgers making an improvement on the offensive end. But then again, it's hard to envision them not making an off an improvement on the offensive <laughs> end. Aside from the quarterback position, what do you think has to fall into place? I just think the offensive line has to get it done. I mean, once you have a you know five guys up front, you know, and a tight end is capable of blocking, uh, and you're moving guys off the line of scrimmage, you know, it makes things a lot easier for the Art Sikowskis of the world. You know, he has time to throw. The receivers have more time to get open. The running backs have bigger lanes to run through. I mean, it all starts up front. And to me, um, the development of Sikowski will be helped by that offensive line um the progression of the receivers will be helped by the performance of the offensive line if if you don't have five guys that can block there forget about it because you know all the you know the best arm in the world it's not going to mean anything if he has 1.5 seconds to throw the ball um it starts and ends up front and and i think that's why you're seeing a movement towards junior college players and uh grad transfers which which we'll see some recruiting being done over the next month on the offensive line because there's a need for immediate help because this this group wasn't getting it done last year you know there's a lot of guys in that unit and you saw guys you know coming in and out of the lineup but it wasn't enough to to say hey this is our five that they can really you know be consistent i mean they've they've had some moments where they played well in stretches but it, it wasn't enough to really just pound the ball all game and and run it down teams throats and you know they don't even need to be as the dominant Wisconsin type line, but just be decent enough to sustain drives to get some points because it seems like forever since this fan base has seen an offense. Right. Well, obviously the fans always want you to give them some sense that there's something going on behind the scenes that will give some hope for next year. Based on what you saw in practice, based on what you saw at tape, 
of incoming players or guys who are redshirting last year or maybe buried on the depth chart a little bit. Have you seen anything that makes you think that perhaps this offensive line could take that next step next year? Well, I look, I like Jonah Jackson. I, I don't want to lump him into the guys who, who haven't performed. I think he's a, he's a very good uh offensive lineman and I think he's going to be a stalwart on that line I think if you move Kamal Seymour into the guard you're going to get more production out of him um, you've added Amari Cooper you know they're hoping that they he can be a decent starter uh, I think they're looking to add one more grad transfer who can come in and be a decent starter so if you have you know uh, your Amari Cooper Jonah Jackson Kamal Seymour inside a grad transfer a tackle then you have a number of guys battling for that other spot. And you have to figure one person is going to be able to step out into the forefront, take over um, whoever that might be. But, um, you know, I, I think there is some, there is some optimism because you're going to have some, you know, some new guys in the mix. And if you see Seymour playing a new position, I, now I'm not saying he's definitely going to move, but, you know, it, after watching the last couple of years, I, I think it, it would be best because he just struggles on that edge against uh, pass rushers. You know, uh, you've seen it time and again where he's gotten the quarterback, you know, leveled. So um, I, I think you need to tinker with that a little bit, add a couple guys, and you have a good stable of running backs. Forget about Sikowski. You can, you can pass the ball around to these running backs all day long. If you have an offensive line that can block, you don't need to worry about throwing the ball 30 times a game. Yeah, who's your choice for starting day running back? Mm, interesting. Uh, you know, I like Pacheco and I also like, you know, Blackshear being split out. Now that you have some more of those guys, you can you can flank him out into the slot. You can do some things with him where he doesn't have to just be a primarily uh, ball carrier out of the backfield. You can throw the ball to him because he's one of your best playmakers. Um, you can run Pacheco. You can bring in Aaron Young to do a bunch of different things. You can even uh, add in K. Ron Adams for a couple of runs. They, they just have a nice uh, – uh, versatile backfield set i mean those four guys um you you can you can see them those guys making a lot of plays but you have to give them a little room to run and you know when it comes to the passing game you have to give uh, a little bit of time right now there's kind of some intangible pieces that have to come together for a team to be successful do you see any of those intangibles uh playing in this year in terms of is there a guy on the team who you think is going to evolve into that vocal leader is there someone who's going to lead by example? Uh, who do you see being those guys, possible uh, captains coming in for the 2019 season? Well, you have Jonah Jackson returning. Uh, he was a captain last year, and he's he's a guy that you know has the respect of everyone on the team. He he's well liked by everyone on the team. Um, he he should he's my number one choice there. You know, and. and after him, you know, it's kind of a toss-up. You know, offensively, you have some players that, that are going to be older, not necessarily vocal players. Um, but, um, you know, you have you have some defensive guys that are a little older as well. I, I don't think there's one bona fide guy you can point to outside of Jonah that's, that's really going to be that, you know, that leader who's going to step up and take charge of, of everybody. Uh, I think it'll be a nice mix of guys. And I think you'll start to see some guys um, maybe step up into that role as spring practice and summer camp goes on. All right, cool. Um, I'm really interested in this whole signing period piece. Good thing bad thing for a school like Rutgers, good thing, bad thing for a school like Ohio State. Who's winning out in this scenario when there's two signing periods, one early, one later? You know, it's interesting because, you know, we're only in the second year, so <clears throat> you really don't know how some of these players are going to develop. Um, you know, I, I do know that 
the the pinch has has left some guys open late in the game who are decent recruits. I mean, look at the guys who Rutgers brought in at the end of this early signing period: Isaiah Washington, T.J. Robinson. Um, you know, th- they're guys. Aaron Young. Um, you know that that was a different situation. You know. It was ongoing with with his brother being there and and the whole family thing. But nevertheless, the guys they brought in were big time players. I mean, you know, uh, Aaron Young over twenty offers. You know, Isaiah Young twenty two. Isaiah, um, excuse me, Washington over uh, twenty two offers. And then you have T.J. Robinson at a dozen offers. I mean, these aren't guys that they were getting in the past on signing days. The Mike Maietti's with you know who's committed to a, a Division One AA school. So I think Rutgers is making out in this because classes are filling up earlier. Everybody feels the squeeze of, of, of uh, you know, getting all those guys committed that there are certain guys that are left open that, that are decent players. So, um, you know, after signing day, it's kind of this is kind of a quiet time for recruiting and it's very different to what we've experienced in the past in terms of guys just not being available, not being on the board. Um, you can remember how crazy it was leading up to signing day. I think now the early signing period has kind of taken over and confiscated control of, of that title of being the national signing day because, um, you know, guys get their spots locked up. I, you know, people are signing 15, 20 players during that period, and it leaves very little room for recruiting uh, moving through the month of January. It's just a different dynamic altogether. If there is a silver lining of Rutgers not going to a bowl game, I guess you have to say it's the fact that they could – turn all of their attention to recruiting and it seems like that paid off early on yeah and you know they they went full force right after the season began and you saw that with the official visits and and they really did well and and were really able to dive right into it um some other teams were in the midst of bowl preparation maybe didn't get as much invested into those official visits and the recruiting and the visits during that period because they had those practices and whatnot but you know the Rutgers staff was really able to to canvas the country and get into different schools and and visit at different players and, and really did a good job. And I think this was the best stretch of recruiting they've done as a staff since Chris Ash took over. Well, talking about other things that can affect uh, Rutgers in an indirect or a direct way, obviously Rutgers a long way of thinking of a playoff, but every time you turn on ESPN radio, they're talking about expanding out to an eight-team playoff. First of all, do you think it's a good idea? And second, do you think it's a good idea for Rutgers? Um, In other words, like, could it help Rutgers down the line? Uh, I think you're thinking <laughs> way down the line. <laughs> but <laughs> let, let me address the other one first. Um, I don't think – I think four teams is plenty. I mean, look at it right now. You have number one playing number two. And in the other games, you know, you saw Notre Dame just, just get – you know, they got their butts whooped in that game. And, and you know, Clemson showed that, that they deserve to be there. Alabama, you know, Oklahoma hung around a little bit. But the two best teams prevailed. And it's a long season. I, I don't think – you know, with, with the number of games played, the league championships, you're already seeing guys bow out of bowl games because they want to go to the NFL. I think prolonging that with eight teams, it, it just it's too much. You know, it just the, the four I think is fine, and and usually the dust will settle and, and the best team will emerge because, um, you know, look, number one's playing number two. Uh, in in the in the championship and and you really didn't even need those first couple games but how it affects Rutgers I'm I'm not really sure I haven't thought that far ahead but um you know 
it, it way down the line if they were able to sneak something out. I mean, maybe maybe they could. I think it would benefit most of those um, the, the the non-power five school like the UCFs who you know were undefeated coming into this postseason and and you know wanted a spot. Uh, in, in that final four, obviously didn't get it, but could have got into the final eight. I don't think it would have mattered because, you know, they would have got spanked by um, Alabama or Clemson. But, um, you know, I, I don't think – I haven't thought that far ahead for Rutgers in that conversation. Uh, no worries. I, I've given it some thought, but obviously there's probably people listening right now who are have some insight into this that we're not even thinking about. So by all means, go to the scarletnation.com message board and chat it up with us on that. But uh, I, have a, I have a few thoughts on it. First of all, just from a college football fan perspective, I would much prefer an eight-team playoff because once it gets down to those four teams, wherever you are, whether it's online message boards, t- Twitter, uh, college sports radio, which is now ESPN radio, it, all they're talking about is four teams. And suddenly it's like the rest of the college landscape doesn't even exist anymore. There were great bowl games, like even like that UCF game the other day that didn't get as much chat because everyone's talking about the final four playoff teams. Now, I know, like you said, that those teams were far and away the best teams, Clemson and Alabama. And maybe if you had eight teams, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But I'll say this, and this is, I could be wrong on this. But right now, if some, if there's a kid like you have Alfano in New Jersey, five-star, he wants to play for a national championship. There's two, three, four teams that you're going to consider out there that would legitimately give you a shot in your four years that you know you can bank on it. And from my perspective, especially before the the, the, the four-team playoff started, those top teams, it's like the, the rich get richer. So Alfano, he's definitely going to go to Clemson or he's going to go to Alabama. He's going to go to one of those top teams. And you kind of just work your way across the country to all those high four stars and those five star kids. And you you get a situation where, you know, Alabama is going to be up there every single year, no matter what. Now, potentially you get eight teams in there. Suddenly you get the schools like uh, Penn State. And sorry, folks, I'm mentioning Penn State, but you get the even Michigan's, which they're doing fine, too. But the Michigan states, the Wisconsin's can say, hey. If two Big Ten teams get in there, it could be us. Uh, some of the other, the other teams out there that, that maybe even the group of five schools can legitimately recruit a four-star kid saying, hey, why not us? Look, at we, we're, we're doing well. There's going to be some uh, open spots in there. We can get in there. And now those, top, those five-star guys are less concentrated among two, three, or four teams. They're expanding out. Now, that still isn't helping Rutgers. My one friend was texting me today saying, because he's a BC fan. He goes, how does a school like BC or Rutgers benefit if suddenly the five-star players are going out to the the next tier of schools? I still think anytime you can tell, uh, like right now, Rutgers can't recruit and with a straight face say, we have a shot at getting into the playoff, right? A kid who wants to play in the playoff, there's no shot of them going to Rutgers. Eight teams, you can at least say it with a straight face. That that's what I'm saying. And I think there's some of the guys that would have went to Alabama. They're going to sneak down into your Michigan States of the world. And then there's some guys, in fact, Rutgers is still is pulling in some guys from Michigan state, but there's guys who would have gone there that it's, it's going to spread. And I don't know that that's, that's what I would hope. I'd hope that you, you wouldn't cl- you wouldn't have such a glut of top talent 
in four schools, you'd, you'd spread it out and Rutgers would feel some of the, the benefit of that. Am I making any sense whatsoever? No, it would create more parity amongst the, the top 20, top 25. Uh, I get what you're saying, and it does make a lot of sense, but I, I don't know if the powers to be look at it in that same light. I think they're thinking maybe, well, how much more money can we make with the playoff of eight? And it is a, little, is a legitimate. Right. I, I, the question is, too, is that do you just go with the top eight teams in the country, which, you know, on a scary thought could even mean more SEC schools going in? They'd argue that they need three teams in. Or do you go conference champion from each major conference, a group of five school, then fill the rest with some at-large teams? I'd prefer to see that. I'd like to see, you know, the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the Pac-12, you know, AC, like whatever. Any any conference that doesn't have Alabama or uh, Clemson in it getting left out, I, I don't think that should be the case. What do you think? No, I, I would like that if you if you expand it to eight, you know, you reward the Pac-12, you reward the Big Ten, you reward the, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 for, for their conference champions. You, you get your non-power five in there, and then you have two at-large bids. I think that would be a good formula if if they were to expand it to eight. Uh, it would create more excitement. Uh, it would probably extend the season a little longer. And like I said, with, with a lot of guys on the top teams wanting to enter the NFL draft, uh, you know, then you might run into problems with guys sitting out and you, you don't get the full slate of, of players, you know, in that final, if it extends too long. Right. You know that it's going to set off a whole, you know, next round of complaints. So, cause once again, if say that like this year, the, the PAC 12 is down, they put somebody in there. If your conference has someone who the PAC 12 team took their spot, uh, you know, they're going to be angry, but I guess that's the way it is. There's, there's no good way to do it. I just want to be talking about meaningful games further into the college football season. Eight, eight team playoff does that for me. Yeah, and you know, there's so many meaningless bowl games that that you know you turn it on and you go. It's just like kind of a money making thing now. I don't think it's good having you know seventy teams in bowl games or whatnot because it takes away from the quality of, of football that you're seeing. But you know, that's the world we live in now. Like the other day, the Red Box Bowl was on. I had to ask my wife, wasn't that the the of movies that we used to rent out of the box. I, I forgot what it even was. And now they got a bowl game. I, I, I'm surprised at that. Yeah. Well, let's jump over really quick before we go. We'll talk a little basketball. Um, I found myself being up and down on Rutgers basketball this year. Still optimistic about Steve Peichel and the direction of the team. I find myself wanting to hit fast forward to next year. But before I do that, can you give me some thought about how you see the the rest of the season, particularly in this Big Ten, you know, glut of games they have coming up? What do you see happening? I think it's going to be like a heavyweight fight, and Rutgers is is giving up, you know, twenty five pounds to the opponents <laughs> each night out. I, it's just, you know, it's going to be tough. I I think they're asking some guys to to play roles that they're not meant to play. I mean, if I almost feel like they're trying to get Geo Baker to be Corey Sanders, and that's just not who he is. Um, you know, you lose, you just lost a lot with Corey from last year. He was a guy who could take over games, get to the hole, and and do some dynamic things uh, on his own. And I don't see that 
in any of the guys this year. Maybe Jacob Young brings it next year. But, you know, when you get in those tight games and those teams are D'ing up and, and a guy like Gio's asked to play a lot of minutes, it's a lot to ask him to go down and, and take over games with those Corey Sanders-esque type plays. I, I think they lose a lot with him. And I think that's really going to show um, through the Big Ten schedule. I, I think the loss of Mike Williams' toughness, his offensive rebounding, his just rebounding in general from the guard position. He was a tough player, and, and I don't know that they have that same grit and toughness uh, that they had last year. And even losing to Sean Freeman, uh, you know, he was he was a tough player. He he did a lot of intangibles. Uh, I just don't know that these guys who slid into that role, um, you know, can compensate for those losses. And, you know, a lot of people didn't expect to be talking about, you know, those three losses at this point in the season, but I think they're really going to present themselves moving forward. And I just think it's going to be a tough road to hoe for the guys, you know, these next 18 games. We'll talk about the offensive numbers in a minute. And one thing I guess Rutgers can hang its hat on is the defensive numbers, number 38 in the country in scoring defense. But I have seen some things that have concerned me, particularly when Rutgers plays a team with elite guards, I don't see that speed out on the perimeter guarding those elite guards. Um, I see guys getting to the basket. I see guys kind of breaking ankles on the on the Rutgers guards and whoever comes out to defend them. And that kind of scares me looking ahead to this Big Ten schedule where they're going to see some you know, faster guys with some better moves out there. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I think Montez Mathis is going to play more because he's he's a good defender, and I think he has a chance to turn into one of their best defenders. Um, you just need that, you know. These, like you said, these these guards they're going to be facing are, are very good players. You know, Peter Kiss, you know, has shown the ability to score at times, but I just don't see that same like Mike Williams toughness on defense. And Steve Peichel has built his team on defensive toughness, and I just see a lapse in that from last year. I don't see that same you know that same grit on the defensive end of the floor you know and I know they started off shooting hot but that's not their personality this isn't a team that's sharp shooting from the three-point range all day long they've had a few good games uh, where they were hitting but it's not going to be their bread and butter all year they have to play tough defensive minded basketball and and make teams not want to play them because they're 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 scrappy they're tough and and I just see a kind of um uh, you know, a drop off in that area. Right now, speaking of, like, I can't even say it's a drop off because Rutgers hasn't been sharp on offense in a while. But you look at some of these numbers here: uh, number three hundred thirty-four in Division One for free throw percentage, number three hundred six in D one for field goal percentage. Um, oh, maybe I screw that one up. One of them, I got to go check it again. One might be for three point percentage because Rutgers is uh, probably not even that low in three point percentage, but still not not great in that area. But, um, you know, those offensive numbers are in the lo- numbers from the line. I, I can't see, you know, it, it requires them to really put the brakes on these other teams defensively in order for them to win while shooting it, you know, so poorly. And not having guys that can create their own shots, you know, it it, it hurts their, your field goal percentage because not only are they not getting to the basket, you know, it, it hurts their spacing on offense when you're passing the ball around. You know, not having guys who can penetrate and draw in defenders, um, it, it's, it's going to allow – 
yes, it, 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 not that too. And, and you're not going to be able to dish out to guys for open looks because the defense is, is, is going to, you know, be able to compensate. Uh, you just need guys that can get in that lane, break it down. And, and maybe next year with Paul Mulcahy, he will be able to, to be that point guard who can, who can penetrate dish and, and create matchup problems with his size. But for right now, it, it's going to be tough. Like I said, you know, Montez Mathis can create a little bit. But, you know, he's still a freshman. He's still pretty raw. It's a lot to ask him to go out and be Corey Sanders. You know, they just lose a lot with that because you, you saw what Corey was able to do, and they don't have anybody that can do that this year. Yeah, I think the two guys coming in next year, Jacob Young, the transfer, uh, Paul Mulcahy, the freshman point guard, that has to be two of the most anticipated players at least from, I, I think I probably say this every year about whoever's coming in, but for me, I really mm-hmm. anticipate their arrival just to see what they bring differently to the team. And we mentioned Jacob Young, he's fast. He, to me, at least from what I've seen highlight-wise, has that ability like Corey did to take over a game. He didn't do it a lot at Texas, but he did it down the, the stretch for Texas. Um, his high school tape is is wonderful. He's fast. He just it seems like one of those guys that would give Rutgers fits right now and oh, yeah. you know they'll have him on their team next year. Mulcahy, I don't know what what to expect from him, but uh, if he can go do a solid job at the point and make things happen, uh, you know only good things could happen for this team next year. And, and you know I've watched Jacob Young in practice. I'm really impressed. I'm 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 a big fan of his. I, I think he has, uh, you like you said that speed, that scoring ability. He can penetrate. He can shoot. He's he's just he's a tough kid. And and I think fans are really going to be excited. And you know when you bring in those guys, too, it's going to free up Geo Baker to do a lot of things. Um, he won't be asked to do as much this year and that'll let him play his game instead of having to do a little bit of everything you know he's asked to play their best def- their best offensive player he's asked to play 30 plus minutes a game he's asked to play the point he's asked to score big points I mean it's just too much for one guy to do and and you almost feel bad for him because you know that they're putting so much of an onus on his shoulders but um, I think his game will evolve next year as well with the addition of Mulcahy and Jacob Young. And then if you look at recruiting beyond that, if Rutgers can get into any type of postseason next year, mm-hmm. you have to figure at that point they're going to be able to recruit a higher caliber player. These kind of players that we all look at right now, we go, well, he can play defense, but he can't shoot. Mm-hmm. Or you know, he shoots threes, but doesn't have can't shoot free throws or does, can't, play, can't defend. Like, it seems like there's a yeah, but on everyone. <laughs> and Rutgers, you know, if they're going to really take that next step, they have to start getting more guys who there isn't a gigantic yeah but about them no you're you're exactly right the three guys i mentioned um and we've talked about it before um you know three guys i mentioned sanders williams and, and freeman you know they weren't guys that pico recruited he's got to go out and he's got to get the players that can compete with these big 10 teams you're not playing you know mid-majors every night you're playing purdue you're playing indiana you're playing maryland you're playing michigan i mean this is, this is top competition so um He's going to have to go out and, and sell it. And, you know, with the, with the new facility being built, it will help. Um, but w- nothing can really replace winning. So if, if they can do some damage next year, it'll really help on the recruiting trail. Well, Bobby, we're going to close things down. Uh, thank you so much. Enjoy, obviously, I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, everyone who's listening, thank you for being part of Scarlet Nation podcast. Thanks for being part of ScarletNation.com. We look forward to seeing you on the message board. We'll talk to you soon.